Turn with me to John chapter 1. We'll pick back up with our John setting in. Missions next week, right back into John the week after. Sorry we've been hopscotching because we went John, then Zach, then missions, then back to John. Uh, but that's the Lord's doing. He, he really wants us to have a focus on him, but also a focus on the whole world. So we're just saying, Lord, we're responding to how you're leading. John chapter 1, picking up with where we left off, and uh, this is our third time in the, this new study. I did an overview, and then we looked at verses 1 through 5, and so now we'll look at verses 6 through 13. John chapter 1, starting verse 6. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We can put one in your hand, and we're glad to do that. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let's pray again. Lord, we thank you that you sent the light, Jesus, into this world. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you have opened many of our eyes. And Lord, again, if there's one that doesn't know you, you'd open their eyes. We thank you that we've been born not of the will of man, but of God. And Lord, I pray that you would bless this Bible study. Lord, you would anoint it. You would anoint this teaching. You would anoint me as I teach. You'd remove me, though, from the equation that each person might hear from Jesus. I have nothing to offer, but Lord, you have everything to offer. And Lord, I pray that each heart and mind is soft, ready to be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And we ask the work of your spirit, remove every distraction that would keep us from drawing near and growing in your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Martin Luther said of John's gospel, which uh, was written in the most basic Greek, so there was uh, levels of Greek, but it, written in the most basic Greek, he said, I have never read a book written in simpler words, yet words that are inexpressible. And it's so true, when you look at these verses, they're plain wording, but they're powerful. As we noted a few weeks back, they're simple words, but yet they're profound they're simple, but yet they're eternal. You're holding your hands eternal words. Nothing else. Your smartphone's not eternal. The next version is better, right? But nothing will ever get better than what you're holding here, ever. They're eternal. And here John turns his attention to the word, back in verses 1 through 5, you want to go back a couple studies, from the word that began all things to the light which reveals all things. So we had the word that created all things, but now it's the light that reveals all things. A child can grasp the essence of what John writes here, and you and I, we have to still, no matter how old you are, we have to become like children, don't we? We have to become like children and responding to this message, and in fact, the whole book, and in fact, the whole counsel of God. If you're taking notes, you see uh, the title this morning, The True Light, uh, speaking of Jesus, of course, and as is my normal practice, I usually cover three bullets, and I will today, three points or three points of emphasis, sometimes uh, four, sometimes two, but today it'll be three, 
And I want to start off with the first one, if you're taking notes. Uh, it's right here in verse 1. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness. And so we want to talk about the witness uh, that is in this passage, uh, this man John. We have here from the Apostle John. So we've got two Johns on the scene here. We have the Apostle John telling us, so the Apostle John's the writer, telling us of the role of another or the other prominent John in the New Testament. These Johns are two pillars of the saints, John the Baptist and John the Apostle. So we have John the Apostle telling us about the other John, John the earthly cousin of Jesus, uh, who came to be known to us as John the Baptist, right? So because he did all these baptizings in the Jordan River. Now John, chosen of God before birth, he was chosen before he was born. It tells us something that, why, this ought to tell you something why abortion isn't a good thing at all. He was chosen before he was born to be the forerunner of Jesus. You were chosen of God. You were named before you were born. But there is a special calling for each person. But John had a very unique special calling. He was called to be the forerunner to the Messiah. He was given a message of repentance and turning from sin. And he was to point people to Jesus and to point people to salvation. Now, precisely all of the reasons why God ordained John for this specific role, we don't know all the reasons. Would you agree? We don't know all the reasons. Why John? Why not Paul? Why not uh, Jeremiah? Why not? They had their own roles, but God chose John for this special calling of yielding to Jesus and pointing to Jesus. Uh, we can't say all the reasons, but some are specified by John, some are specified by Jesus. And there are some interesting observations related to the person and the ministry of John in connection with the wider plan of God and the ministry of his incarnate son, Jesus. I put a, a list on the screen that you might find interesting. Uh, these are some of the things that kind of parallel John's ministry and Jesus's ministry. And you can kind of see that uh, born of man versus born of God, related to Jesus, related to John. Uh, they were cousins, so each were related to each other. A priestly tribe of Levi versus the uh, royal tribe of Judah. Uh, we have one that never served the priesthood, and we have the other that never served as the king of Israel, and yet both of them had a right to those two roles, but never served in them. One was hated by the authorities, guess what? The other was hated by the authorities. Uh, one was the messenger, the other one was the message. Uh, one was a prophet of God, and the other one is a prophet who is God. Some parallels here. Uh, they both lived and taught uh, in different places, um, primarily in the wilderness for John, in Galilee primarily for Jesus. They both preached repentance. They were both killed in martyrs' deaths. John was beheaded, and Jesus was crucified. Both of them, the hatred of the authorities was so much that both of them were martyred for the faith. And John, well, he's in heaven with his high priest and king, and Jesus in heaven as high priest and king. And so we see that they were both called, Jesus and John were called before birth, but the fulfillment is now they're both waiting for us. Of course, John is not the Messiah. He's just pointing to him. But John was a Levite. He was born in the tribe of Levi and into the priesthood. In fact, both of his parents, Zacharias and Elizabeth, they descended from Aaron, both of them as both of Jesus' parents descended from 
the tribe of Judah and uh, David and Solomon, the kings. Uh, John's father found out about his son's miraculous impending birth while he was serving in the temple. Remember his father, John, being a Levite, was in the temple, and he found out he was going to have a child, and uh, he was so shocked that he couldn't believe it was possible, and then he couldn't speak for the entire pregnancy. Uh, but it was a high honor for any priest to go in and serve. And what, the way it was, by birth, John should have gone into the priesthood. John the Baptist should have been a Levite priest. He should have gone on to serve in the temple just like his father. That's the way all the Levites, remember, when you're born in the tribe of Levi, you were serving in the priesthood. He should have gone in the priesthood. He should have followed in the footsteps of his father. There's only one person who can break the way it is set up, and that's who? Jesus, or God. God says, time out. I know you're supposed to be in the priesthood, but I have a different plan for you. Aaron was older than Moses, but Moses was the one called to be the leader, right? Normally, the younger would serve uh, the older, but it didn't always work that way. Jacob was younger than Esau. So we actually see God will sometimes say, I, this is the way you must do it, but I can change it any way I want. This is the way it is in parents. Kids hate it when we actually change the rules. But you always said we do it this way. That's why I'm the parent. I can change the rules. Anytime, midstream, I can change the rules. I can change it right at the, and change it right back in two minutes later. I have the authority to do so. And so God says, I'm calling John to be a, not a priest, but he will not serve the temple. I'm calling him not to follow the footsteps of his father, but he's going to have a different role. He's going to have a different role for me. And you'll, you'll understand Zacharias, the role. And so an angel from God tells him, not only will we have a different role, but I'm not even going to let you name him. What if God told you you're not allowed to name your kid? Right. Well, you know, I'd be okay with that because God will come up with a better name than you or I would, right? So, but God says his name will be what? John. And, by the way, the other parents of old age in the Bible, because John and Elizabeth, the reason why John's dad was so shocked, he's like, we're too old to have kids. God, do you, do you know how biology works, God? You know, we're, we're too old. Well, Abraham and Sarah had the same thing. And did you know that Abraham and Sarah, they didn't choose Isaac's name either. God says his name will be Isaac. So this is the second time in the Bible where we have an older couple, and in both cases, they're shocked they could have a child. In both cases... Their child has a specific calling, and in both cases, they don't name the child. Isaac and, um, and John are both named by God. But uh, from Abraham to Isaac to John, all of these things, they're all pointing to the revelation of who? Jesus. It's God's connected plan. It's all pointing to Jesus. And, and so there, there was confusion in the wider family of Zachariah's family. They're like, well, why are you naming him that? You know, the, the, you, we name him after the lineage of the household and after the Levitical priesthood. And uh, there was confusion there. But here again, although we never see exactly what God is doing, we can see God painting a bigger picture. And he develops this role with John that John is going to be John and he's not going to serve in the priesthood. He's going to be going before Jesus. We'll look at some additional facets of this in chapter 1 because, again, there's a lot that the Bible reveals us about John throughout this chapter 1 and his ministry, and we'll look at more of that. You know he's going to baptize Jesus, for example. So we'll get to some of the other facets. There's some really fascinating things. I have to hold some material back for week to week because we'll look at some of those things when we get a little more in the chapter. But as a Levite... It was his priestly birthright, but John 
lays down his birthright to be a prophet. He says, Lord, if you want me to be a prophet, instead of wearing those beautiful linen, soft, priestly robes, guess what John got to wear? Camel skin. What everyone wants is to wear a dead camel on their body, but that's what he, you know, so uh, he lays down, he lays down what he was called into. God says, I know, I know you, I put you in the Levite priest, but you're going to be a prophet instead. You're not going to serve in the temple. You're going to wear different clothing. Uh, this is just like the prophets in the Old Testament. They always were a little bit called to an oddity, if you will. And it wasn't fun being a prophet. It wasn't fun for John either. Uh, eating locusts and honey was his diet and all these kind of things uh, he was willing to do. Um, so now if you remember, he, as John lays down his uh, life to be a prophet, he's obedient to the will of God and preparing the way for Jesus. If you remember from our Hebrews study, um, who else is Jesus? Now we know John's going to point to him and he uh, is going to talk, call him the Lamb of God. But who else is Jesus? Well, he's, Jesus is not of the priestly tribe of Levi, but we know he is what? Our high priest. And so it's interesting that you have Jesus from Judah and the royal line of David, but John, who's from the priestly tribe, is actually should be in the priesthood, and you have John from the priesthood pointing to the priest pointing to the priest, not only pointing to the sacrifice, which is the lamb, but pointing to the priest himself. And we know that Jesus is, he's from the royal line of David, but we also know he's of the priesthood of Melchizedek. So he is a greater priesthood than the Levitical priesthood. That's going back to our Hebrew study. Now, this was not all understood at the time. They didn't understand why John would yield the priesthood to Jesus. But now we understand why John was yielding the priesthood, because he was yielding to the high priest, the real high priest, the priest of eternity, the high priest of the church. So we understand it now, but it wasn't understood at that time. And we have the layers upon layers of God's unfolding and interconnected plan that's always about Jesus. John is the witness, but Jesus is the centerpiece, right? And John, referred to here as the witness, uh, he formally publicly does what we're now all called to do. Do you, re, do you agree that you're all called to be witnesses? Yes. Yeah. You can put yourself in here now. John was a public witness, but you could say, put your name, Tim, called to be a witness of God. My wife, Sarah, called to be a witness of God. Trevor, who was up here, called to be a witness of God. We're all called to be witnesses. The missionaries will speak to us next week. They're called to be witnesses of God. So John is a prototype for all of us. They were all to point to Jesus. They were all to be witnesses. And in proclaiming who Jesus was, um, what must take place? He says, look back at your Bibles here. Um, verse 7, this man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. Believe in him. It says, uh, this word believe is so important and understanding in the Greek it means these following things. It means to think to be true, to be persuaded of, to place confidence in. Is your confidence in Christ? Are you persuaded that he is King of kings and Lord of lords? Do you think it to be true? I know it to be true. Well, I, I, there's a lot of things in this world I don't know, but I know Jesus is true. 
I, I have full confidence. There's so many things I don't have confidence in, right? You ever bought something new and wondered, I wonder if this will work as advertised, right? Your confidence level is never all that high with things made by man. But we're to believe the message and to believe in the Messiah of the message. We're to believe the message, but more than just the message, the Messiah of the message, the Savior, he is the message. Jesus is the message that John was preaching. Now let's take a look at both, um, both of these things, uh, the message and the messenger, um, or I'm sorry, the message itself and the one in the message being Jesus. We'll take a look at this, this sovereign title of Jesus where he says, the light. He calls him several times here, the light. And so if you're taking notes, let's take a, take a look as we continue on in these verses. Look at verse 8. He was not that light. So John, John the apostle is saying the, that John the Baptist, again, get your, make sure you've got your John straight here. John the apostle says John the Baptist was not the light. He was just pointing to the light. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of the light. When you and I run into people and you, know, you Christians think you're perfect, oh no, we don't. Ask our spouses, ask our kids, ask our neighbors, whatever. Uh, we do not think we're perfect. We're pointing to the perfect one. We're pointing to the one who can, we're pointing to the one his sinless perfection gives us entrance into heaven and into salvation. If it wasn't for Jesus, we're as lost as lost can be, right? So he was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness to the light. And much like the moon, as it reflects the light of the sun, is the source of the light, John is not the light, but he's reflecting the light. He's pointing to the light. The light that he's pointing to is not just any light. We go back to the first five verses. This is the light that was at the beginning of the world, right? This is the light that dawned out of space and time. This is the light of the world. This is the light that will be the light of heaven. When you get to heaven, it says Jesus lights up. There's no sun in heaven. It's Jesus is the light. Isn't that amazing? Yes. Yes. And it'll be the most perfect light. Now, some lights are too bright. Some are not bright enough. Some are just annoying. All of that stuff. None of that. It'll be the most perfect balance of light. And it'll all be Jesus. And it doesn't matter where he's at. I know he's everywhere. But he also has a throne. And sometimes, I don't know, I don't know how it's all going to work. I just know he lights up heaven. The Bible makes it really clear. It's in the book of Revelation that he's the light of heaven. But it's as if to a certain degree, when you look at John's role, it says he was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of the light. It's as a certain degree that God gave John this distinct honor and responsibility of flipping the light switch, so to speak. John, all right, Jesus is the power behind it all, but John, you get to flip the switch, and, and everyone says... Oh, that's who you've been telling us about. He has that honor and responsibility. But it's like the Holy Spirit is the electricity, though. He's the power. He's the one that causes the room to light up, or in this case with Jesus, causes the world to light up. That Jesus can light up not just a room, but the entire world. And so uh, Jesus, being the light, he comes in and he makes everything visible. Right When Jesus sheds light, we can see. We can see the junk. But we can also see what God wants us to see, what he intends for us to see. And like John, uh, we're to be witnesses of the light, but we're also to what? Reflect that light, right? We're to, we're to be reflecting the light 
in wherever we're at, when you're at work tomorrow, when you're standing in line to vote, uh, whatever it is that you're doing in the next uh, couple of weeks, uh, if you're uh, going to the gym, you're, wherever you're at, you're, you're a reflect light of Jesus. You never know who's listening to your conversation. Imagine if you know, uh, you're, in, you're standing in line and someone hears you whining and complaining the whole time. Oh, I go to Cal- don't tell them you go to Calvary Chapel. Do not tell them. <laughs> tell them you go to- I'm just kidding. Yeah. No, but uh, we're to reflect the light. Not just with what we do, but what, with what we say. Alistair Begg had this to say. He said, we as churches may be lampstands, but all the light is Christ himself. We exist in order that he might shine through us. As you go through the day, as you go through this week, Lord, help your light to shine through me. Sometimes I get to speak for you. Other times I I just get to have a countenance of joy that people can interact with and people can see that I'm a forgiving person. But we can't have that happen until the light of Christ comes in us. Amen? Amen? How many remember how not well lit you were before salvation? Oh, you were lit in a different way, but, uh, uh, but I'm not talking about that. That's <laughs> totally different, right? Me and my wife were the night. We closed a bar at 3M and got saved at like six hours later at a Calvary Chapel church service. So, I mean, we know what that's like, but there's a different light that comes in, and we can then reflect the light of Christ. So let's understand the message here, though, that John is given to re- proclaim we want to understand what it is that John's talking about. If you guys can advance forward, I don't know why it stopped on me there, but there we go. We're good. Um, the message, let's read on here. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness to that light. That was the true light which gives light to, um, to the world. So we know that um, he's sent to bear witness of this light. He's pointing to the light. The message John is given to proclaim, uh, we want to understand how it reveals both the problem and the solution. So uh, he sent as a light in the the world. Why? Well, the problem is the world is in darkness. God says, here's the problem. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, looking down from heaven said, the world is in utter darkness. There's only one solution, my son. And so we understand the problem is that mankind and this world is in not just a little bit of darkness, total darkness. The Bible says before salvation, we are dead in our trespass. You know how you know what dead is? Dead is dead. Completely dead. You know when the car battery is dead and the, and, and the guy at AutoZone says that, that you, you, you should never charge this again. Oh, by the way, you can't. It's dead. It's not going to ever start. You have to have something new. So there was a total, the world was in total darkness and in fact is still in total darkness. Would you agree? Yes. Still in total darkness. And what is the darkness? Well, it's the darkness of sin. It's the darkness of deception. It's the darkness of death. You know why people are petrified of COVID-19? It's the darkness of death. Because all of a sudden, everyone has kind of possibly a prognosis sitting in front of them. Possibly. Whereas you know it when, when when the doctor says, you have severe diabetes, you have severe heart disease, you have severe case of cancer, it's level three or whatever. People then know it, but then you're all told, you, could be, you all could have the virus. Well, yeah, you could. But you know what? I'm ready for heaven because we have light and life now in us. So it's the darkness of death. It's the impending darkness of hell. 
I don't have to fear hell anymore. How about you? Hell's real. I know America doesn't preach on it anymore. It's like it doesn't exist. It exists. We have to tell people, you don't want to go there. I've told you many times when I was in corporate America, I used to have a coworker every Monday. He would say, did you, because I was bivocational for five and a half years. I would work in corporate America, teach on Sundays, and he would say, did you send anyone to hell this week? And I would tell him again and again, I can't send them. I can only tell them not to go there. Amen. They're already sent there. I can only tell them, hey, here's a U-turn. Go, go this direction. Go towards what? The light. Go towards the light. Um, so we understand that this darkness, uh, darkness of deception, death, sin, and impending darkness of hell, the only solution is the light sent from God, sent from God the Father, to open the eyes of those that are in darkness and to bring the light of salvation into a dark heart because of sin. Everyone's born with a dark heart. Even that cute look, we did baby dedication a few weeks ago, and they were all cute, seven or eight of them. They are born with dark hearts. Toddler moms know this. <laughs> Eventually, all moms and dads know this, but uh, they're born with dark hearts. But all of the evil and all of the hatred and sinfulness of this world, all the idolatry that we see in this world, all the lust we see, all the pride we see, all the rebellion, which is in us too. It's dying more and more because we now have the Holy Spirit to push it out, to push it, to not make room for it anymore. Uh, I want to do a study sometime in the next six months on Romans 7 and 8 just to even talk about that to help us uh, understand it. But uh, all of that darkness and rebellion and sin, uh, it's called darkness because the scriptures call it darkness. We're not making this term up uh, as pastors and theologians. The scriptures call it darkness. What it is, it's the natural condition of this world since the fall of man in the garden. When, when man fell, the world fell into darkness. Does that make sense? Uh -huh. The world collapsed into a pit of darkness because before that, God walked in the presence of man and there was no sin. It was a completely perfect place. There was no death, no disease, none of these things. There was no uh, expectation of hell because everything was perfect. It was paradise. But the world fell into darkness with the garden. What was that? And what was that original sin? It was the sin, if you're watching online, hear me as well, it was the sin of unbelief, right? It was the sin of unbelief. Not believing what God said. As a matter of fact, the, the serpent said, Hath God really said? Which was a twisting. Boy, today's politicians are really good at twisting words, aren't they? I didn't really say that. Yes, you did. You just kind of think we're dumb enough to not understand your twisting. And, and by the way, people twist scriptures. Even Peter said, be careful. Many people twist the scriptures to their own destruction as they do write the writings of Paul. They will do with other scriptures as well. And so the enemy is the father of lies, but the lie was he was saying, you don't have to believe God. Believe me, you don't have to believe God. You're not going to die. And that was a lie. It was, they didn't die immediately. Say, oh, I forgot to tell you, it wasn't immediately. I, I meant you to die eventually, but you didn't ask the follow-up question. Wow. Right? You wonder how people operate this way. Satan's the father of all this wordsmithing and twisting and all the things that you see. But all the other sins and iniquities followed that original sin of unbelief. And so all sin in the scriptures is called darkness. But the light, the light that comes in with salvation, it represents the righteousness of God. 
the whole, you can't manufacture righteousness, righteousness, brothers and sisters. You can only receive righteousness. You can't manufacture light. You can only receive light. You can't manufacture holiness. You can only receive holiness. And that comes only from God because what? God is light. God is light. Uh, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6, 4, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness? This is why Christian Christian men and women aren't to marry a non-believer. The, the light and darkness is not going to coexist. That's different, like I said in the first service, if both people are unsaved and one gets saved, that's a different story. Now your light is to shine to bring them to Christ, but uh, we're not to, you're not to be able to say, well, I like to serve God on Sunday and Monday, and then I take the rest of the week off. I live in darkness the rest of the night. Remember the, honk, the country music Christianity. Uh, honky tonk on Saturday, Jesus on Sunday, right? Right, right, right. No, that light and darkness no longer. Lawlessness and holiness don't coexist. There's no lawlessness in heaven. None. There's only light and there's only holiness. There's no darkness in heaven because it's always a picture of death and sin and rebellion. So heaven is full of holiness and light. There's no darkness in heaven. None at all. And there's not to be. God wants to purge the darkness out of us, for it's the light of Christ and his righteousness that dispels the darkness. Because we still have a sin nature that we battle, but we have a saved soul that now has the Holy Spirit to drive the nature out again and again and again. That's why uh, maybe a study coming up in Romans 7 and 8 will uh, help clarify that a little bit more. But as we saw in verse 7, we'll see again in verse 12, the solution to the light always requires belief. And the other word for the belief that we understand well is faith. I put my faith in Christ. It says to believe in his name. Uh, this is repeated, by the way, dozens of times, this word believe. Uh, it's why our series title is Only Believe, because all throughout the book of John, uh, he says so many times, uh, nearly 100 times, to believe. But John's message, it unveils the Messiah, and then the Messiah further unveils the message. Does that make sense? John pulls the curtain back and says, this is the Messiah. Then Jesus pulls the curtain back and says, this is the word of God. Does that make sense? John unveils the message, and Jesus further unveils the message with a depth, and then he begins to teach. And In other words, John, uh, he, uh, he proclaims the Messiah, but the Messiah then further proclaimed exactly, he said, remember Jesus said, all things the Father has given me, I give to you. He said, I don't say those things which the Father has not told me to say. So the message, John says, this is the messenger, listen to him. And so when he speaks, he will then further unveil himself. Jesus said of himself, so John's pointing to Jesus as the light. Jesus said of himself, in John 8, 12, and obviously we've got many, many weeks before we get to John 8, uh, but he says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in, what is it? Darkness. darkness. You've been saved out of darkness, not to walk in darkness anymore. How many of you have a distaste for things you used to love before you were saved? The, the, the things that used, like it's Halloween season. I used to love those gory Halloween movies. Now I think, what planet was I living on that I couldn't see these were written by demons themselves, right? I used to love that stuff, and I, I, can't, I can't stomach it anymore. Why? Because there's not a place for darkness in me anymore. I'm still 
dumb as a rock at times, but uh, that's a different story. Uh, that's that sin nature that you say, oh, Lord, forgive me for saying I, I, uh, I shouldn't have thought that, said that, had that attitude, a little bit of, man, I was complaining about that. that that's that sin nature we battle, but, but we don't knowingly dive into dark pits of tar anymore, right? We just don't do that because we know that, that it's like drinking bleach or something. It just doesn't make any sense. And so Jesus says, um, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The reason why when you sing a worship song like we did, it resonates with you and you say, wow, I feel like I could just go to heaven today if God would allow me to just go there, is because the Spirit of God has put light in your soul now. And you're attracted to the light of God. You're no longer attracted to the things of this world. And so you just, you know, when people say, I, I used to go on business trips and I was saved and thankfully there was many a time where I was the only one to go back to the hotel room when all the other guys went to who knows where, although I knew where. Uh, and so you're not attracted to light anymore. You walk now and light, brothers and sisters. Uh, and by the way, this is an exclusive claim of Jesus. When he says, I am the light of the world, no one else has ever been able to say this. No leader in the world has ever been able to say, I am the light of the world. Jesus could say it, and it was like a piercing arrow to people that heard it. That's either true or this man is insane. Well, he's not insane, and it's absolutely true. So then if it is true, what are you going to do with it? You're faced with the light of the world, but it's a glorious promise if you come to him, isn't it? Isn't it great to know that your father is the light of the world? Your savior is the light of the world? Now to recap, we have one final thing to look at. It's beyond any doubt or debate that John the Baptist is a witness to the light, right? John the Baptist... John the Apostle saying, you need to understand what John's role was. His role was to point to the lights. Uh, we know that it's beyond debate or doubt that God the Father sent the light. He sent Jesus down. The incarnation is from God to us by sending Jesus. And then the last thing is that Jesus himself, Johnny, proclaims that he is the light. John testifies, God testifies, Jesus testifies. So we see that he is the light, and we're in total darkness without him, but with him, everything changes. But, brother and sister, and so some of you online, if you're not saved, even if you are saved, our whole life we're always left with a light and darkness decision, aren't we? A light and darkness decision. And we have to choose whether we want the light or whether we want the darkness. And our last thing we'll look at this morning, I, I've titled The Response, and let's take it up in verse 10. Look at it, verses 10 through 13. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them, and if you're born again, this is you, he has given uh, the right to become the children of God. To those who, here it is again, believe in his name, who were born not of the blood, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now the Apostle John, not, uh, not John the witness, the Apostle John gives a brief overview here. Verses 10 through 13 is John the Apostle giving a brief overview of the earthly life and the authority of Jesus in just a couple of sentences. That was his whole ministry put into a couple of sentences. And the authority of Jesus centered in that ministry and what the world needed to understand in responding one way or another to that ministry. 
how Jesus was received then continues with every generation. Would you agree with that? How Jesus was received or not received then continues with every single generation, every single person. But back to that first generation for just a second. Let's, let's go back in time to the first century uh, where the Jews and the Gentiles were living there. Matter of fact, uh, the world was much more connected to the ancient world than we think it was. They, they actually were well aware of, even in the Middle East, they were well aware of China and way down in Africa. And I believe even more than that, I believe that there was uh, a lot of knowledge under, under the Roman Empire and the connectedness to other previous empires. But in that time, Jesus lived. He was in the first century walking in what we would now know as modern-day Israel, Jordan, and Lebanon. Uh, those three uh, countries were the area, the sphere. The majority of his time was in Galilee, although he would come down to Judah. All that's in Israel. But he also went up to Tyre and Sidon and on the east side of the Jordan, which is today modern-day nation of Jordan. And as Jesus walked among the people... Look what it says here. It says, he came into the world, and the world did not know him. As Jesus walked among people many times, probably thousands of times, he walked past people, and they had no idea that they just passed by the one who created the very earth they were walking on. Many times. He didn't reveal himself every village, and some villages he didn't even go to, but he would walk past people, and they had no idea that the brains they were thinking with, he created. They had no idea that the central nervous system that they were utilizing, he created. They had no idea that the fruit, the pomegranate they were eating, he created it exactly the way it would look, color, texture, taste, molecular structure, all created by him. They had no idea that the air they were breathing was created by the one they just walked past. Oh, look at this Jewish guy. No idea. No idea that the stars they were looking up at night he created every single one of them, even the ones that they couldn't see that the Hubble telescope showed us that were actually millions and trillions of galaxies. They had no idea that he could tell them the number of hairs on their head. For some of you men, I know that's not hard, but uh, that's a different story. Sorry to put you on the spot like that if, it, if that, if that applies to you. But they had no idea. They had no idea what they had They had no idea that this man could tell them every dream they had dreamed the night before, every thought they had ever thought, the thoughts they were thinking right then. And then he began to teach, like no one had ever heard, with great authority. Then they began to see a little bit of a glimpse of his power in doing miracles, his power over nature, calm the seas. His power over sickness and death and disease. And I told the first service, can you imagine going with Jesus and the apostles? I mean, he went, and some days it said he healed thousands of people in a single day. People would bring them all over. But in our modern understanding, imagine if you were one of the disciples and Jesus said, uh, you said, what are we doing today? He says, we are going to St. Francis Hospital. What are we going to do, pray over people? No, I'm going to empty it. What do you mean you're going to empty it? No, all the doctors will have the month off because every surgery, everything planned, completely healed. Everyone, I'm going to walk through the halls, get out of bed, get out of bed, get out of bed, get out of bed. You're all discharged. Do I ever have to come back? No, you're completely healed. You'll never have that health issue ever. You'll still die, but it won't be of that, more than likely. Everywhere. And after that, we're going over to Johnson Wells. We're going to empty that one. Wouldn't that be amazing? 
Now, so Jesus was doing that in the ancient first century world in the vernacular that they understood. I mean, physicians, Luke was a physician. Luke, the reason why Luke records more of Jesus' healing miracles than anyone else is because he was a physician. He was amazed, like, here I've been tinkering with this guy for eight years, and Jesus walks up and says, get up. <laughs> right? Luke was impressed. I would be impressed. I'm impressed and I wasn't there because I believe what the word says. But Jesus did that. He cast out demons. He did all this. Surely when everyone saw this, they would run to the light, right? No. I mean, I, I'm always amazed when I see the religious leaders, they see Jesus doing it. You'd think for sure they'd be, thank you. We've been telling you about the Messiah. You do all this stuff. They said, let's kill him. Plato, who was not a Christian, but nevertheless, his quote here, I think, is apropos. He says, we can forgive a child who is afraid of the dark. The real tragedy of life is when men are afraid of the light. And that's what happened. People saw the light of Christ, and they ran the other direction. Many of them, sadly, many prefer to run from the light. Uh, Jesus tells us that he also, or John tells us here, that Jesus came to his own. Who was his own? The Jewish people. And of course, he came first to the house of Israel. Primarily, he taught and preached to the house of Israel. That was his primary audience and his primary ministry. Um, he taught from the law and prophets, like no one had ever taught from the law and prophets. He, he quoted from the Tanakh, which is the Old Testament, nearly 80 times. The highest number of references he spoke, number, the, the most times he quoted was from the Psalms. Second most was Deuteronomy followed by Isaiah, and number four, fourth most was the book of Exodus, which, of course, Moses is central to that. But even as a 12-year-old, he was teaching the priesthood in the temple. They're like, who is this guy? 12-year-old kid, he knows more than all of us combined. They had him there for days. That's how his parents couldn't find him because Jesus was sitting there expounding, even as a 12-year-old. Of course, he is the Word. He knows everything about the Word. But all throughout his ministry, his miracles validated his power. Everyone could see it. He said, my works testify of me. His knowledge of the scripture, it silenced and confounded the religious leaders and the scholars. All of that revealed again and again that he had great authority. That, and the scriptures themselves revealed that the Messiah must come. The scripture said the Messiah uh, would bring salvation and that the Messiah would come to Israel and the world, and Jesus fulfilled all of these things in the presence of the religious leaders who supposedly were the scribes and knew the word. They were the ones that knew the Tanakh, supposedly. So did Jesus and his brethren, when they heard all that, did they receive him? No. No, he was rejected by the nation of Israel. The high priest Caiaphas says, put him to death. And then he was rejected by Rome, as Pilate said, put him to death. So you had Rome and the religious leaders, and collectively the nation of Israel and the world says, thanks, but no thanks. Those hit, all those miracles and all that stuff, pretty good stuff. He even raised the dead, but we want you dead. That's what the world said. That was the collective response. Now, of course, many Jewish men and women, and Gentiles too, did actually believe in Jesus. We all agree with that, right? One of them's writing here, John. John was alive then, so we know that everybody rejected. That's why John said to those who believe, they, became, they had the right to become the sons of God. So John himself and the other John, they're two that did believe the message. You and I believe the message, even though you might have neighbors that are atheists and say, you guys are weird. Why are you wasting your Sunday morning 
when you could have slept in and right now be enjoying life. Instead, you're listening to some guy tell you about a book. It's all fiction. Either I'm right or they're right, right? Or ultimately, God is right. And so we believe, there are some that do believe, and many did believe, and John, the author, is one of them, but as a nation and society, they didn't believe. If I ran for president and I got got 1% of the vote, it would still be 3,315,000 people, but 99% wouldn't vote, and so you could collectively say, I was rejected by the voters. And if you ran and you got 1%, you would be rejected by the voters, even though there would be a a healthy number, 3,355,000 isn't, isn't small change, but it's still a rejection as a whole. And as a group, the people rejected Jesus. As a nation, they did. But a handful did see his light. They did see his authority. They did see his truth. They did see his love. They did see his power. They did see his gospel. And they were convinced he was no ordinary man. Isn't that great? John was that way. John the witness was that way. The apostles were that way. Uh, Mary Magdalene was that way. Many, they, they believed the witness, and so uh, they believed he was sent from God to bring them out of darkness into the light of salvation. And rather than rejection and unbelief, they believed on Christ. Hence, they became this term we now call believers, right? They believe, hence we are believers. And even more than believers, they and we who have believed, we become not just believers, but children of God. Isn't that great to know? Amen. You are a child of God, heirs and adopted by the grace and mercy of God because of one imperative response. You have believed on the name of Jesus. Not just believe that Jesus exists. You believed in his name, it says here in the text. In his name, you believed in him. That's a difference. You believe in him. You're trusting in him. That's a full believing. That's a full turning from sin. That's a repenting. That's a trusting in him for salvation. You know your best righteous day is still filthy rags. Amen? Right, right, right. That's why you're trusting in Jesus. You know. No, I can tell you. I've never lived a day that gets me into heaven, but I have a Savior that's taking me in Amen. Amen. through the blood of the Lamb. This is that uh, full believing that we're talking about here. And even able to do this, as we wrap it up right here, who were born not of the will of uh, not of, born not of blood nor the will of the flesh, but of the will of man. Even that turning to, even that ability is of the very will of God who is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to what? Repentance. All that would come to repentance. You see, you can't create or provide this salvation. It's too complex. You would have never thought of what God thought of. Here's how it's going to work. He's going to come in the first century. He must be born of a virgin. He must do this. He must preach this. He must have the Holy Spirit sent him. He must preach these words. He must go to the first of the house of Israel. He must be rejected. He must be crucified. He must rise from the dead. You couldn't come up with it. You could only receive it, right? You can't create this salvation. You can only receive this salvation. It's of the will of God. We can only respond to salvation. We can only respond to the light that God shines. But John here, he foreshadows something Jesus will later teach. He says, not born of the flesh, or or not born of blood and the flesh. He's pointing to John chapter 3, where we'll learn we're born of what? The Spirit. Hence, we get the term born again. That's why we're born again believers. It all connects. We have to believe, and the born again is the change. We'll see more of that change in chapter 3. But it's, it's via a different birth. It's not of blood. It's, uh, it's different than our physical birth. He's speaking of that new birth that's coming, that second experience, the saving of our souls. Uh, his sovereign salvation is designed 
by his sovereign will. Amen? Amen. His sovereign salvation. You, when people say, well, that, I don't understand. That sounds too simple or it sounds too complex. doesn't matter. This is the truth. Obey the light. Come to the light. Our job, run to the light for salvation and keep running to the light for daily growth. Amen? Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we just bow before you now. We're so grateful for your word. We're so grateful that you sent the light of Jesus. And Lord, before we leave here this morning, uh, we just want to ask you to help us to be filled with the light of your gospel. Lord, wash us. We don't want any darkness at all. We don't want any fellowship with darkness. We want to walk in the light as you are in the light. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And I pray that for myself, my brothers and sisters. While your heads are bowed, if there's anyone at all, say, you know, I, I heard all that, but I've never come to the light the first time. I've never asked him to be my Lord and Savior. I've never been born anew by God. I've never had my sins forgiven. You talked about the fear of death. I still have it. I'm afraid of death, but I want to have eternal life, and I want my sins forgiven. I don't want to have this guilt anymore. I don't want this shame anymore. If you're watching online, I pray you're right now willing to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. If you're in this room, just raise your hand. I want to pray with you if there's anyone at all. I don't want to assume we're all believers, but I just give the opportunity. Is there anyone at all? If you're online and you're watching and Lord's speaking to you and you want to give your life to Christ, you can do it right now. And I'm just going to pray a prayer and you can follow along with me. Say, Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for being the light of the world. Thank you for coming and shining. And I see the light of your glory and your righteousness and your sinless perfection and the fact that you are the Messiah and the Savior. I see it. I see it. Holy Spirit's making it clear to me. I see that you are the light of the world. And I want to not run from you anymore, but I want to run to you. And I fall on my face. And in my heart, I ask you now to cleanse me from the darkness. Take me out of the darkness into your light. Cleanse me from my sins. Wash me and purify me from, I'm sorry for these sins. I'm sorry that I've rejected you for so long. I'm sorry that I've not believed your message. Lord, I believe. Now, save me as a believer. Write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, for I have decided this day to follow you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen.